You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on the Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, joined by the founder of Brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. And Frank, yesterday we spoke after the game. We were feeling pretty relieved after the Bucks get away with a three and one Western Conference road trip. And because it's the NBA, you think you got three days off where you can just relax a little bit. And that's, of course, not the case. Chris Milton is going to miss three to four weeks with what we thought was a pretty minor knock to the thigh yesterday. Even Chris himself said that he thought that, you know, with a couple of days rest, he was hopeful that he was going to get up. When we touched on it yesterday, we mentioned that, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, you got the bulls in a couple of days, maybe he misses this one and then uh, he's, he's good to go. But three to four weeks, that was certainly a shock for me. For, for this type of injury, I mean, that uh, that time frame, I was not expecting that. Well, I, I think I said a couple of days, or you know, it could be a couple, a couple of days, could be a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, so three to four weeks, probably, you know, on the longer end of uh, the spectrum. But um, I, I mean, you know, I, I was kind of DMing with some people today. I mean, you just Google thigh contusion. I mean, you know, you find your random, you know health websites like they will say and obviously they were talking about you know an NBA athlete uh not like just some random person <laughs> here but um you know weeks is not seemingly uncommon for for the recovery time for for something like this now obviously ultimately there's a it seems like there's a pretty wide range in terms of the severity of an injury like this and um so I was not shocked I guess when I saw it um I'd say it certainly was on the probably longest end of what, what I was expecting. Um, but, uh, you know, like we were discussing last night, you know, it's not like, uh, Chris, you know, tried to stay in the game beyond those free throws. I mean, they, they pretty much got him off the court right after that. Uh, he went to the locker room immediately. There was, you know, he's out for the game. There, there was no illusion that, that he was just going to walk it off. Um, and, uh, so the good news is, we're nowhere near the playoffs. Uh, so obviously this coming um, at a time uh, in the calendar when, uh, you know, you have lots of time to get somebody back healthy and, and ready for uh, the home stretch is the silver lining, I suppose. And the other piece obviously being that um, it doesn't seem like this is the kind of injury that, you know, should, should linger. Now you never know, right? Obviously, always muscle injuries can be uh, re-aggravated and things like that. But obviously, that's where you hope that they take the time to to get this right. And um, unfortunately, Chris, obviously, not 
uh, unfamiliar with muscle injuries to his leg, having had that uh, kind of worst case scenario in a lot of ways from a muscle perspective injury a few years ago with uh, tearing his hamstring. So obviously nothing uh, as severe as that, but um, you know, a few weeks is, is still a long time. And um, you know what, I think what 10, 10 games ish, maybe something on that order is kind of maybe what, what this sort of lines up as. And uh, you know, I think there's a, a couple of bulls games in there. So you hope you, you know, maybe uh, I haven't looked fully at the schedule yet, but you hope obviously that um, you know, the schedule is, is kind to you and at least gives you a chance to win some games, even with uh, your, your second best player missing out. Yeah, the schedule actually uh, does lighten up for the Bucks, And in terms of, of timing of an injury like this, if you're going to have a key player and, you know, I mean, probably Giannis is on a different level. I mean, you can't really afford to, to lose him at any point for an extended period of time. But with Chris, uh, the, the Bucks schedule coming up, you, you already mentioned the Bulls there, a couple of games against them. Uh, you got the Atlanta Hawks a, a couple of times, the Cavs a couple of times in, in, this, in this time uh, period here. So I, I think for the stretch right up until what would take you to around four weeks, there's only two games against teams that are above 500. Um, so, you know, potentially with, with that in mind, it's, it's not the worst timing, even though uh, I don't think that you would ever you know, be okay or, or comfortable with with a guy like Middleton missing in uh, such a long stretch. But the interesting thing with the Bucks, we speak about their depth all off season uh, through the season so far. We've we've spent a lot of time talking about their bench guys. I honestly think that I can I can say that there's five guys that could come into the starting lineup for Chris Middleton, and I'd be like, yeah. I can see that that Bud would have done that. Like, uh, I think there's one guy that I I believe should be in the starting lineup, maybe more than the others. It's not life or death. I, I think that there's a bunch of good options, but I think there's five guys. I think Sterling Brown is one. Ersan, for for obvious reasons, is another. Pat Connaughton, Dante Divincenzo, uh, and then you know an outsider is is potentially Kyle Korver if Bud wants to maximize some minutes with Giannis there. It's it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. And I I, I did sort of tweeted out earlier just after the news came out. And by the way, shout out to, to Matt Velasquez. He actually got the, the time frame out about 30 seconds before Shams. So, you know, full credit to Matt for that. But uh, last year, Middleton missed four games. Uh, he missed five, but one of them was that Atlanta game, which I'm not going to count when looking at uh, potential starters. And so in the four games that he missed where most of the starters played, Pat Connaughton started two and Tony Snell uh, started the other two. So uh, just for what, what, whatever that means moving forward. But yeah, I mean, where, where do you start with this when you, when you think about potentially bringing someone in uh, to the starting lineup? <clears throat> well, I think, um, you know, obviously between small forwards and shooting guards, I mean, there's a lot of similarities. I think um, for the most part, I view, view those positions as kind of largely interchangeable. Um, I think, you know, just... And again, this may be oversimplifying a little bit, but I think if you just look at, well, who is the wing who has been probably showing us the most over the past week or so, um, you know, the guy you mentioned first, Sterling Brown kind of comes to mind. And I think there's also, I mean, just as a fan, there's sort of also just this selfish desire to just sort of, you know, near three of, of Sterling in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. trying to figure out kind of what, what he's got to offer. And, um, you know, the, the irony of Chris Middleton being out is that this feels like a prime um, 
audition for somebody to take Wes Matthews job. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, Middleton being out uh, would, you know, almost assuredly extend the runway on Wes Matthews uh, time as a starter. And, and again, not that I don't necessarily thought that anything was imminent with a change there, but uh, Wes, I think is a guy who, uh, you know, has, kind of struggled of late ironically his you know his his three best games of the three first three first games of the season um you know scoring in double digits hitting 50 percent of the shots in each game and then since then has kind of just struggled to find shots consistently which you know i think was always sort of the argument like well you know he's he's going to be able to be a high volume shooter and and shoot at a you know high enough accuracy that you know and, and defend probably well enough that um you know he can be he can be a role-playing starter, if not exactly, you know, somebody you're excited to have starting. Uh, he can at least fill a role. And, um, it, you know, I, to me, it's it's been a lot of shades of, like, 2017-18 Tony Snell, where um, he just isn't very involved, period. <laughs> and, and, you know, doesn't have the kind of floor game to, you know, compensate for when he's not, uh, when he's not getting shots from, from three. So, um, so Wes Matthews, you know, again, it, I'm, I'm hesitant to use the phrase a winner of a Chris Middleton injury because obviously I don't think anybody wanted, you know, Chris Middleton to get hurt, obviously. But, um, you know, in terms of guys who stand to potentially benefit, um, Wes, who already was starting, uh, I think just because this should certainly uh, give him some more opportunity to not only continue to start but also maybe get shots. Uh, and then as far as who actually jumps into the starting five, um, yeah, Sterling's the first guy I thought of just cause it seems like he's the guy <laughs> we've been most excited about of late, yeah. um, has been looking maybe the hungriest on the floor. Uh, that has also coincided with, uh, Pat kind of came, you know, missed, uh, I think what one game with, uh, I think it was that shoulder injury. Um, but he's kind of been rested, kind of been in and out a little bit of late. Although you also mentioned, obviously he's a guy that, but, uh, showed a lot of trust in late last season and heading into the playoffs. So, um, so yeah, I think there's, there's kind of multiple ways you can go. I think the one that would surprise me the most would be Ursan. Uh, and again, just cause obviously that would be fundamentally changing the approach of, you know, basically going big with your starting five, you know, essentially putting Giannis at the three, uh, you know, the upside of that move is, well, you know, why would you put it in your start, your, your backup five with your, with your start or sorry, your backup four with your starting four. Yeah. And obviously, well, you know, if you're a DJ Wilson fan, yeah, I mean, that would be very appealing because it would finally kind of free up some minutes for DJ to come in as a backup four. Um, but that would probably surprise me the most. I would say probably, you know, the, the obvious move would be to, to start one of those other wings, whether it is uh, uh, Sterling or Connaughton. And I've, I haven't mentioned Dante DiVincenzo mainly because I just I just think of Dante as more of a kind of combo guard um, than a kind of wing. Uh, but again, it's not a hard and fast thing, probably. Um, and I think you know whether it's Wes, Sterling, Dante. Um, I think you're going to see all those guys at times defend point guards. You're going to see all those guys at times defend small forwards. So there's going to be a, probably a fair bit of fungibility over the course of a, a full season. But um, but that would be kind of my read, I, I would guess, you know, Dante, especially because Dante has not been scoring 
basically as soon as everybody got excited about Dante scoring, he, he stopped scoring. <laughs> um, and I just think from kind of an energy standpoint, I just, you know, again, I think he's more of a kind of bench spark plug than anything. So I would, I will hazard uh, Sterling Brown getting thrown into the starting five as a result of this. Um, but, and, and Pat Connaughton maybe my being my second, my second choice. Um, but uh, nothing would necessarily shock me. And I think maybe Corver, the guy you mentioned there might be the biggest wild card. Um, yeah. The obvious downside would be, I think defensively, you would much rather have Kyle out there against more second units slash mixed units, you know, cause it's just easier to uh, hide him a little bit versus if he's out there as a starter, um, you know, he's going to have to probably more, more often than, than not um, have to defend somebody, or at least again, obviously you're not going to put him on the other team's best score, but it's at least more feasible for other teams to kind of put him into pick and rolls and, and try to find ways to, to attack him. So um, uh, in theory, I think there's some appeal there just because obviously the shooting with Giannis on the court is, is interesting and blood. So, um, but I would, probably say it's less likely and also just because if he's not playing back-to-backs um i think you'd rather have somebody in there for chris who is you know reliably going to start every game so i will long roundabout way of saying i'll guess sterling but i think as you said there's there's arguments there's some potential rationales for, for a lot of different guys did you know that audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment including audible originals Audible Originals are stories created exclusively for audio, including documentaries, exclusive audiobooks, and scripted shows that you can't hear anywhere else. Audible keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. You'll finish more stories when you listen with Audible and will always be a part of the conversation. With the convenient Audible app, you can listen anytime, anywhere, on any device, whether that's mobile, Alexa-enabled, Bluetooth, and more. Start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash locked on NBA. That's audible.com slash locked on NBA. That's L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A. So don't miss out with that great offer and maybe get an audiobook like I'm about to. God and Starbucks, an NBA superstar's journey through addiction and recovery. That one's by Vim Baker, the Bucks assistant coach. Just remember again that deal. Audible.com slash locked on NBA. Yeah, I mean I think Sterling's in the in the box seat. Um for, for some of the reasons you mentioned, it, it was interesting. Like once this happened, uh I haven't spent a lot of time looking at, at lineup data uh to this point, just simply because I mean it's been ten games. Too early. And, yeah, and you know, I mean, some of these guys haven't played enough minutes. You still look at Dante's uh, net rating, and, and you know, on off, it's it's incredible because of basically two games. The, you know, the Orlando game uh, in, in particular. But uh, it was interesting with Ersan because Ersan's a guy that that has played real minutes um, from from the first night. And you know, last year when we when we think back to late in the season where. Uh, DJ Wilson sort of fell out of the rotation and Ersan really solidified his place. To this point this year, the the Ersan minutes have been disastrous. And if you if you look at the numbers, he's he's played uh, 168 minutes already this season. Um, and even with Giannis on the floor, defensive rating of 118.4. So uh, it hasn't been pretty with, with those two matched up together. And it'll be interesting to see 
if this sticks or this is a, a small sample size type thing uh, with those two because last year, you know, Ersan was a pretty reliable uh, contributor. Not only uh, what he does on the box score, but the the, the advanced numbers sort of uh, painted a, a good picture for him. So Ersan, I think, even though, you know, I think everyone automatically is like, oh, well, but, you know, he's going he's gonna to go with Ersan. I, I think that that one's a little bit of a long shot. And it's interesting with Wes because you mentioned him off the top, and I think this is a good point. We're going to see some some more... Uh, action for West, not necessarily in minutes, but in in potentially production. Because at the moment, just getting up 5.6 shots per game, that's a career low. I mean, even in his rookie season, uh, he he got up 6.9 shots a game. He's never been under 10 for a full season since that rookie season, which was way back in 2010. So he's really, uh, as you've you've mentioned quite a few times since the since the start of the season, uh, he's been quite absent from the offense and. Um, I'm wondering whether we're going to see a little bit more from him other than just catch and shoot threes. It's uh, it's kind of weird because when you think about West through the start of the season, you're not really uh, imagining him or, or seeing him get to the basket. He's seven for eight uh, at the rim <laughs> so far in the season. I can't even remember that the eight uh, the eight shots you know off the top of my head, but you would expect that that's going to go up a little bit. And he's 33 percent shooting from three. Also a career low. You hope that that uh, starts to rise as well because, you know, as, as you, you mentioned, when we spoke about West being that starter, it was more just a guy out there that was going to be that Tony Snell and shoot open threes and, and really stay out of the way and, and just take uh, what, what was given to him rather than initiate anything. So it'll be interesting to watch with, with West. But Sterling last year did come into the starting lineup with, uh, with Malcolm Brogdon out. He had seven starts. He averaged 30 minutes per game, uh, 13.9 points, six rebounds, 2.6 assists on 50, 39, 73 shooting splits. So, yeah, he produced. And that's probably bumped up a little bit from that, that Atlanta game in particular where he had a, a really big night. But, but, yeah, I mean, I think that Sterling, when we, when we spoke yesterday, and I, I do think that this, you know, I'm bordering on being a Sterling Brown stan at the moment with how much I'm talking about him, but... Uh, I think, you know, in terms of the offense, he's he's a guy that makes sense as well. He's uh, an okay passer. And and when you think about Chris Middleton, outside of Giannis, you know, he's a guy that that was getting decent assist numbers and, and was always a, a good passer and worked well on the pick and roll, even though they, they don't do it a lot with Giannis. So Sterling maybe is that guy that, that's going to be able to put the ball on the floor a little bit, get to the rim. And then obviously he's shooting over forty percent from three as well. So I don't know. I mean, to me that just seems to seems to make sense over all the other guys. Yeah, the thing that I struggled with last year was with Sterling. You know, the the Bucks, their starting five that of course you know started all year, played thirteen over thirteen hundred possessions together. They were plus six points per one hundred, which actually isn't really that good um when you think about the grand scheme of uh of you know how good the bucks were overall last year um and so it's it's interesting because the second most used lineup only a little shade under 300 possessions was with sterling in place of malcolm brogdon that lineup was minus 8.5 they were just they were really bad offensively they were bad defensively and pretty much i think like you look at like the top 10 10 or so lineups the Bucks used last year. All of them had positive net ratings other than that one with Sterling slotting in for uh, Malcolm Brogdon. And so 
I've always sort of, I, I would always like look at that. That was kind of the case all year long. And I just kind of struggled with it. Right. Cause it's like, I mean, literally he's the only variable there. <laughs> it's Bledsoe, Middleton, Giannis, Brooke Lopez is all from the cleaning the Um, so what's what's happening there? Like why 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 did that not work? And uh, you know some of it's probably just kind of bad luck. I mean their effective field goal percentage was six points over six percentage points lower with Sterling in for Malcolm. And okay, I get it. Malcolm is a good shooter. He was a fifty forty ninety guy. So I mean yeah, you take him out of the equation. Um, that's that's not a good thing. But the flip side is, you know Eric Bledsoe, Pat Connaughton, Middleton, Giannis Lopez in 145 possessions was plus 19 points for 100 and put up a 128 offensive rating. And they had a 61% effective field goal percentage. I think you can safely say that, you know, over a couple hundred possessions, there's a ton of noise in that data. And a lot of it tends to come down to, did you happen? Did, did your team happen to make more threes than normal? Did your opponents happen to, you know, miss more threes than normal? And so I think a lot of what we're seeing here is just kind of noise within that, that range. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that, but I think that's a fundamental question for Sterling in general is, um, you know, I, I've, I like Sterling. I want to see him get chances defensively. You like the intensity that he plays with, but I also just kind of wonder like, you know, okay, it looks like he's really trying hard and, and engaged and all that when he's on the ball, but what's he doing off the ball? You know, I think he's a good rebounder, but is he really making an impact as a team defender? Um, you know, offensively, we know he shot the, the corner three ball really well last year. Um, but is there anything else about what he's doing? Like, you know, I think I would say he's not the same off ball cutter that a Dante or a Pat is right. Um, he obviously is a pretty good shooter, not like a lights out high gravity shooter. Um, so it, yeah, it's just a, an interesting thing. I, I, you know, and again, okay. He, was a second year player in the NBA. He was a second round pick, right? I mean, you can't expect a guy like that to just, you know, immediately or, or in just second year um, to be a huge plus plus player. But I think with Sterling, I think there was always a bit of kind of that dissonance between what we thought he could be and what the actual sort of end product was uh, on the court. So encouraging kind of, I think what we've seen him here, seen from him here and, you know, kind of his opportunities over the past week or so, um, but yeah, I think a lot of, you know, admittedly, a lot of me wanting to see Sterling in the starting five is just sort of, Hey, show us, show us that, you know, you can actually do this and that, um, you're, you know, you're ready for this challenge and that you're a guy that we can actually count on as potentially a, a guy that you want to play in the playoffs. Cause last year he was a guy that, you know, had opportunities in the first two rounds and just didn't play well enough to, to, to kind of earn those, uh, as the playoffs sort of wore on. And obviously that was, that was disappointing because obviously it seemed like he was on the right track. So, um, so yeah, it would be fun to see Sterling kind of take that, that next step. But uh, obviously it's, you know, generally you would say this is a, an opportunity for a bunch of guys because you've got 30 minutes um, uh, on the wing that normally would be going to Chris Middleton. And and they're obviously going to have to find a a way to fill in that gap. And again, this isn't the way you wanted to um, take care of your, uh, uh, you know, lack of playing time problem <laughs> with your best wing getting hurt. But, uh, you know, again, this is, uh, I'm sure we'll hear the phrase next man up uh, a number of times uh, in the next couple of weeks. And you just hope that, again, uh, the guys can kind of step up and, 
uh, obviously. And I think the other the other piece of this to me is that this piles on even more pressure on on Giannis and Eric Bledsoe to be kind of the offensive fulcrums uh, of you know the lineups whenever they're on the court. And um, you know, again, if anybody is capable of uh, doing a ton offensively, it's I'd say Giannis, um, but certainly Bledsoe also the way he's been coming around of late. Uh, timing could not be better in that sense, given uh, you lose Chris Middleton, you're going to need kind of this this very good version of Eric Bledsoe that we've been seeing of late. You're going to need a lot more of that over the next few weeks. You're going to need more probably George Hill creating as well. But, you know, bottom line, time for a lot of guys to step up. Yeah, it's, and, and just back to the to the Sterling numbers on last year, it's, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because even yesterday's game, uh, you know, we're like, Oh, well, Sterling made a, a couple of nice plays and, and, you know, he was sort of involved. And then you're like, oh, well, he was a minus 18 in a game that the, the Bucks win by two points. And it's like, oh, that's a kind of a strange number. And, and you know, it'd be interesting to see if, if that is you know, a, a trend that continues. And it's like, why why is that uh, the case with Sterling? It's kind of hard to put your finger on. But um, the, the other guy with, with Pat, and you, and you touched on Pat to, uh, a little bit earlier on, uh, I, I did mention he was a guy that started a, a couple of times when Middleton missed last year, but yeah, there was, there was the, the shoulder uh, sort of issue. And, and I think that's probably had something to do with it. But when you look at Connaughton to start the season, he, he starts uh, six for 12 from three over the first couple of games. That includes a four for five night uh, against Cleveland. And you think right back to the season opener, that second quarter, he sort of kept the Bucks afloat there. And then he's shooting. It keeps the, the, the Bucks, you know, with a head above water against the Cavs when they probably, you know, you probably hope that you weren't in that position. But since he is just two for 16 from three, he hasn't been able to really hit anything from the outside. Taking a lot of deep threes as well. It's kind of weird how, how deep he, he's shooting the ball. But uh, he, his minute totals have been slowly dropping. He played 21 minutes against Boston, 16 against Orlando, which uh, I believe Orlando is a game he hurt the shoulder. And then he he missed a game. Then he came back against Minnesota, 16 minutes, then 13 against the Clippers, then just 12 against OKC last night. So his role has been slowly reducing as Sterling and and Dante really made their mark in that game uh, against Orlando where uh, Pat went out. So... Yeah, I, I I think that as we've sort of gone through all those guys, that it, it looks like all signs are pointing to uh, Sterling. But uh, of course, like I said uh, right at the top, I wouldn't be surprised you know, with with either of those five guys. Really, I could see that uh, Bud would would go with, with either of those. But you touched on Bledsoe right at the end. But it's interesting because we automatically think, well, who's going to come into the starting lineup? But the guys that are in, the guys that are in there, uh, are going to see. Some more shots. I mean, this isn't like last year where, where Brogdon uh, is out. And, and Brogdon, you know, as you said, obviously an extremely efficient shooter, but he wasn't as uh, much of a focal point for the offense as Chris Milton in, in terms of there's 14 shots a game that, that Chris is getting up. Outside of Giannis, he's really the only guy that gets that, those sort of isolation possessions. So this is, uh, you know, really going to change what, how, the, how the Bucks look, even though. Giannis is going to be the one controlling everything. So the thing that I'm interested to see is with Brooke Lopez, as we've touched on a little bit, at times they've looked to throw the ball into him. I wonder whether Bud uh, goes a bit old school with Brooke Lopez here and, and looks to get him more uh, touches in the paint. Uh, I'm not sure you know, how effective this can be with Giannis on the floor. I think that's the question mark. But, but in terms of rotations, we've seen Bud go with 
five-man uh, bench units a couple of times. I wonder whether he staggers this up a little bit and he'll be happy to ride uh, some units with Brook Lopez as the focal point. Yeah, I think Brook is, um, I mean, uh, we've seen it a little bit, uh, you know, not, not a ton after opening night, but we've seen a little bit of uh, old school Brook Lopez, uh, i.e. not doing things other than just spotting up for three <laughs> um, so far this season. And, and certainly you lose Chris Middleton and some of the, you know, sort of shot creating, shot making load that, that he bore. Um, the, there's only one other former all-star on the roster, I guess, right? Uh, it's pretty much, it's Giannis, Chris, and uh, Brooke, uh, one-time all-star uh, back from his Nets days. So um, so I think that's an interesting possibility. I think, again, you would have to stagger. I think you, you only really go to Brooke in the post if if Giannis is off the court. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, it's it seemed like so far uh, that, that Bud is is keenly aware of when those situations arise. At least it feels like they've been very opening to do that. Um, I think you know the other thing you can do with Brooke, uh, which he's actually he, had, he actually had very good chemistry. I think with Chris in terms of rolling and Chris being able to find him on the move, going towards the basket uh, in two man games. Um, I'm curious if uh, maybe Bloodsoe can can pick up on that a little bit. We saw a couple examples of that in OKC where uh, Bloodsoe. Uh, made nice passes to 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 Brook for finishes around the basket. So, uh, so yeah, I, I agree. I think using Brook Lopez and and his skill set around the basket rather than just uh, as a, as a you know, spot up guy, I think would be certainly another interesting um, thing you could do to maybe throw another wrinkle at defenses, especially uh, you know given the the fact that you're you're going to be operating a bit out of deficit in terms of that that shot creating ability without, without Chris Middleton. So um, yeah, I think that's the other, another great point. Uh, obviously we're not, we're not going to say that Brooke Lopez is going to play more because of Chris Middleton, but could he get more touches closer to the basket? I think that's certainly possible for the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. Just looking at the the two man lineups uh, through the season so far. So, so Chris and, and Giannis is probably, I mean, it's probably not a shock, but uh, they played the most minutes together of any uh, two-man combination, 217 minutes. And then after that, it is uh, Lopez and Giannis at, at 214 and then Lopez Middleton. So, yeah, those those three guys play together a lot. And uh, I think we have seen... I, I mean, this just feels like, w- without looking at the numbers, it, it feels like those guys, the, the starters have been together a lot more. Last year, we certainly saw... Yeah, particularly in, in first quarters where I, I think you touched on it before where Giannis would, would seem to go out around that sort of six-minute mark or seven-minute mark every single first quarter and Middleton would, would tend to play around 10 minutes in, in the first quarter. That hasn't quite been uh, as extreme uh, this season early on. But yeah, it's, I'm going to be interested to see how Bud moves this and, and I think we've, we've gone through most of the guys that could potentially come into the starting lineup. I, I guess the only, uh, you know, depending on what other points you have to throw out there. I guess another thing I'm curious to know what you think about whether or not we know the guys that are in the rotation, but do you think anyone comes in like with, with Middleton out, there's still the, the, the sort of log jam at the four and five. So I'm not sure how it sits with DJ, but is, is there anyone that comes into the rotation? I guess the only player we haven't mentioned, well, we haven't mentioned Thanasis of Edekumbo and Dragon Bender, but I do not foresee them no. seeing any real uh, action because of this. Uh, you know, we talked about DJ at the front end. Um, 
I think the interesting thing is, um, I think it's interesting to look back last year, uh, how willing Bud was to go with those jumbo lineups, especially yeah. after Miritich arrived. Uh, and, you know, Brogdon gets hurt. People might remember Brogdon gets hurt uh, against Miami in that game where they were losing by, what, 20 points or something, something at halftime. And they end up winning by double digits, which I think ended up being like the well, – it was a weird stat, It was like, which, which really surprised me. It was like the biggest deficit after which a team – it was like most biggest win after which a team – in a game in which a team trailed by 20 points at halftime or something like that. It was some, some yeah. kind of weird stat like that. It was like a 35-point, 36-point turnaround. Um, but Brogdon gets hurt kind of early in that game with the plantar fasciitis injury or the the popping i guess of of his plantar fasciitis and then uh plantar fascia i think uh and then nikola miritich starts the third quarter and that's you know sort of where the turnaround began so um throwing nico in with Giannis and brooke lopez with this really big lineup um we also saw them by kind of necessity going with a super big lineup uh against the jazz when they were uh, really banged up uh last season as well so, you know, you mentioned the numbers of Giannis playing with with Ursan uh, and Brooke. He he was not bashful about doing that. I think we saw that, and you know, basically from the beginning of last season, we saw uh, Giannis actually playing some minutes with Ursan together at the at the two forward spots, not not just as the two big spots. This year, I think we've been mostly seeing it as them as the two big men, um, which I would say also is kind of the more logical thing to do especially given Robin Lopez has not been impressive and you've got all these wings right that you know you don't exactly want to take away minutes from some of these wing guys so um so yeah definitely a lot of kind of different directions you can go and and certainly as much as I think I've been you know and we've been talking about you know kind of a more traditional throw another wing in for Chris option um but is not bashful about kind of going with these jumbo lineups and, and Giannis at the three. And you talked about some of the success last year. I think, you know, it's funny. I remember reading um, an article by Ben Falk from Cleaning the Glass that I mentioned earlier. Um, one of his first stories, I think a couple of years ago that he wrote, was about the kind of defensive, uh, kind of two big man approaches that the Spurs have often used historically um, and how – you know, as much as, especially at the time this was written, people were starting to think everything had to be switchable lineups, go small, go switchable, because, you know, everybody had that existential, you know, fear of how do you defend the Warriors. And, uh, you know, it was a good reminder that, you know, playing bigger lineups can be very effective. Uh, and I think it's funny now. I mean, the, you know, it's, I mean, the, the Warrior, it's, it's crazy how far we've come with the Warriors now being, kind of rendered irrelevant and just like a team full of scrubs and, you know, injured Steph Curry, injured Clay Thompson, D'Angelo Russell kind of just being, I guess, D'Angelo Russell. Um, but, you know, the, obviously the Sixers are banking on a very large lineup being the key to a terrific defense. And we saw last year, Brooke Lopez, Procyonis, Dedekumbo, that's pretty big. That's those are two huge dudes at your four or five positions. That worked great. Conservative approach worked really, really well. Very effective, and even throwing Giannis at the three, which I don't think is necessarily a natural thing to do. We don't want him kind of having to go over screens, etc. Um, 
the results were really good. And um, again, I think it just speaks to having even taller guys who can do other things, obviously Urson being able to, to shoot, space the floor, rebound. Um, and, uh, you know, again, I don't think you want him, certainly don't want him defending small forwards, um, but with Giannis and the way he can just kind of defend almost anyone, um, that level of versatility and, and weirdness as well, just because I don't think teams necessarily know how to, how to play against some of these like bigger sort of unconventional lineups. Um, I think certainly that uh, there, there's there's more than one way to uh, to skin the cat. Which, by the way, I, I've never understood why that's a phrase. Uh, <laughs> it's a pretty pretty dark and, and yes. strange thing that people somewhat commonly use. Um, but uh, but it's in this case it it is true. I think there's more than one way to uh, try to compensate for the absence of Chris Middleton. And again, I don't think there's any any way you just replace him with you know more minutes from some of these. Uh, rotation wings, but um, I think it's, if nothing else, I think it'll be instructive for us as observers and viewers of this team to see how they try to do it, you know, what Bud's approaches uh, from, you know, compensating with Chris out, and then uh, what do these guys show us, you know, and hopefully, uh, hopefully at least one of these players uh, can kind of separate a bit from the pack and and hopefully make a, a real legitimate claim for uh, for more minutes. I think that's the big thing you want to say, isn't it? I mean, you want to say, uh, you know, whether it's Sterling coming in and, and, you know, showing that, yeah, I can, I can be like this, a, a guy in a, in a good, uh, good NBA team playing really real rotation minutes and being a positive factor. And that doesn't need to be, you know, replacing the, the 20 points that Chris Middleton has, but uh, he has to just be able to uh, ensure that when he's on the floor, the bucks aren't completely <laughs> falling apart. And, and for Wes, it's like, okay, yeah, you've you've had a, a massively reduced role to this point. Uh, do you still have it in you to to uh, have the ball in your hands a little bit more and see whether you can you can still score um, as as we've seen him do his whole career? So yeah, it's 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 interesting. But uh, you mentioned skin the cat uh, before we we wrap this up. I do wanna I do wanna. It was funny because when I was looking at Milton's injury, I mean, I would call it. I don't know if this is like something that that only Australians call it, but I would call it like a, a corky, like a corked thigh. Is that is that a thing? Uh, I I, was, I think the Charlie horse would be the probably what what I would say is the colloquial term for for what it looked like. Um, so I'm I'm guessing. What did you just call it? Corky. Yeah, like a corky, like a corked thigh. But corked know. corky. Yeah, that I, that seems like you're you're getting at the same idea of I think what what a Charlie horse is. Um, I'm guessing you you do not. Are you familiar? Have you ever heard the phrase Charlie horse? No, that and that's like that's, me, that's that's really like where I wanted corky. to get. To. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was wondering. That's what I wanted to, to, to. So the fact that you said that without being prompted is exactly where I wanted to get here. I wanted to say, what the hell is a Charlie horse? I knew it was the same thing, but what's the what, what's the deal with that? I have no idea why it's why the, why why a horse has to be involved in it. Um, but yeah, it's, who the hell is Charlie? Uh, I don't know who Charlie is. I don't know how his horse got involved. Um, all I know is that when you just get like somebody just like punches you on the thigh, or you just get nailed yeah, on exactly. the thigh, um, that uh, that that I don't know. Like yeah, like just growing up, like people just call that a Charlie horse. Um, and and now I'm just like kind of fascinated by uh, by by where where that phrase came from. Oh, Charlie horse is another name for a muscle spasm. Charlie horses can occur in any muscle, but they're most common in the legs. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's not even caused by uh, 
uh, by getting like kind of nailed or something like that. But um, I mean, overuse of a muscle dehydration, muscle strain, or simply holding a position for a long period. So maybe it's not even, uh, yeah, maybe maybe all of us rushing to call it a Charlie horse if it's not even really justified uh, by these <laughs> medical <laughs> descriptions of what a Charlie horse is actually supposed to be. Um, because yeah, I mean, this was clearly, uh, you know, this wasn't just his, his thigh spasm, having a spasm or something like that. This was obviously a very clear, uh, hit he sustained to it. And, you know, part of me was almost like, you know, I, I feel like watching sports, you know, I think all of us at this point, um, feel like probably the, the, the injuries you worry about the most are the non-contact injuries. Yeah. Um, and obviously Bucks fans, you know. I mean, Jabari Parker obviously would be the kind of most most recent uh, and painful example of, of, of us seeing it. Obviously, um, you know, we didn't see Chris tear his hamstring, but it sounded like it was literally him slipping on a wet spot um, on the practice floor and, and tearing his hamstring that way. Um, so part of me was almost like relieved that the injury was like just a clear like, oh, he just got hit on the thigh, right? Um, and obviously, you know, again, it doesn't appear to be like a months long injury or something like that, but, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's just, just too bad that, uh, that, you know, a seemingly kind of innocuous play ends up being, uh, you know, something that's going to cost the bucks, uh, weeks for, for one of their best players. Yeah. Generally with, a, I I was about to call it a Charlie horse. Now I don't think we can, I don't think we can do that. I don't think the description fits, but yeah, I mean, with that, that type of blah, man, he must have some, some pretty serious, you know, bleeding on the, on the muscle there. I I think that's, you know, without being a doctor, I'm not a doctor, but yeah, that, that is why I was probably surprised that the four weeks I was like, damn, you know, these, these injuries obviously can be pretty sore, but yeah, look, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting period. You know, I, I just looked through the schedule and really, uh, over the next, like uh, right through until December six, where the Bucks will host the Clippers, the only real games where you look at an opponent, you're like, okay, that's a legitimately good team. They have the Jazz at home on November twenty five. Uh, they also have the Blazers at home November twenty one, and then uh, later this week or this weekend, they've got a game uh, against the Pacers, which will be interesting for for, <laughs> for obvious reasons. But outside of that, it is. Uh, it's a nice run for the Bucks. We we said at the start of the season, if they could get through the first couple of weeks, then they're they're in a in, in a good spot. So uh, you'd prefer if they were fully healthy, but maybe uh, they they might be able to get through this little period uh, with not too much damage done. But uh, yeah, I think I think we've touched on all the all the spots. You got any any final thoughts there, Frank? Well, of course, bringing up the Pacers. I mean, uh, we'd be remiss not to say this is the precise time in which you would really have liked to have a guy like Malcolm Brogdon around. And obviously he's going to be wearing a a Pacers jersey this weekend, but certainly, um, you know, this is the, the quote unquote luxury of, uh, of depth, obviously. Right. Um, And again, maybe, uh, you know, again, I I don't think Malcolm Brogdon is going to put up the numbers in that, that he's putting up in Indiana. He's not going to do that on this Bucks team normally, but, um, you know, when, when guys are out, if Chris Middleton had gotten hurt last year, obviously that, that would have been a, a great time for, for Malcolm to pick up and, and take on a, a, you know, a bigger role offensively. And, and obviously, you know, this is, this is where the Bucks are going to be really tested, right? Like, you know, we can argue 
um, how much the Bucks can defray the absence of a guy like Malcolm when they're fully healthy. But I don't think anybody would argue that you know you, that you, you're not going to feel some drop off when uh, when you're dealing with the absence of a key guy like a Middleton or or a Bledsoe or you know God forbid a, a Giannis. So um, so yeah, it's uh, I, I guess unfortunate that you know the first game against the Pacers is, uh, <laughs> will come with uh, a guy like Chris being out. Um, but, uh, that's, that's just the reality. And by the way, so I, I just, I just looked up Charlie horse on Wikipedia. All right. Well, let me just read this <laughs> off for you real quick. Charlie horse is a popular colloquial term in Canada, United States for painful involuntary spasms or cramps, blah, blah, blah. Basically the thing we were, we were discussing, right? So not what, what Chris suffered. The term, however, it says here, the term formerly referred more commonly to bruising of the quadriceps muscle mm-hmm. of the anterior or lateral thigh or contusion of the femur that commonly results in a hematoma that sometimes several weeks of, that sometimes causes several weeks of pain and disability in the latter sense, such an injury is known as dead leg, dead leg and Charlie horse are two different kinds of injury. Charlie horse involves the muscles contracting without warning and can last from a few seconds to a few days. A dead leg often occurs in contact sports as football. When an athlete suffers a blunt trauma to the lateral quadriceps causing a hematoma or temporary paresis or antalgic gait as a result of pain, uh, so anyway, I guess I'm just old now because basically what this Wikipedia article is telling me that many moons ago in a forgotten time, a Charlie horse was basically what Chris Middleton suffered, but apparently now it means something different, which I don't understand why a, uh, like slang phrase would suddenly like change its meaning like that. That seems very weird. Um, but I guess based on this, we would say that Chris has a dead leg, which sounds, uh, pretty uh not great uh rather than a charlie charlie horse just sounds just a, a charlie horse i just got a charlie horse um but exactly. yeah, dead, dead, dead leg sounds sounds a bit more uh not not quite so nice so I, I don't know what we're gonna do with this cane but um hopefully hopefully we will not have to talk about this for more than the next uh let's say two three weeks and and then hopefully we'll see chris middleton back and hopefully feeling much better well, that's, that's, that's exactly my point. At the start, when I said I was shocked, he's only got a Charlie horse. How can he miss four weeks with a Charlie horse? <laughs> if you tell me he's got a dead leg, then I'm like, yeah. okay, I can buy this. I can, this guy needs – I want him to have a couple of weeks off uh, to bring his leg back to life. But, you know, it's, it's funny that we're talking about these terms because I don't want to give too much away, but, uh, you know, we've got, we've got a couple of days off here and, and there may be an episode of Locked On Australia coming up here. In the, in, the, in the next day or so. Uh, I look forward to being educated is all I can say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be interesting. I just hope that people can understand uh, what, we are, what we are actually talking about. But uh, yeah, look, that was the news of the day. I, 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 you know, I was going to look back on the season a little bit, the first 10 games, and, and run through some, some other ideas I had in my head. But instead, uh, the injury... Bug hits the Bucks for the first time this season. Hopefully, as we touched on, Chris is only out for a couple of weeks here, but the Bucks have still got another two nights off before they meet the Bulls. So I think we're going to leave it there for now. So for Frank Madden and myself, Kane Pittman, we'll speak to you guys tomorrow.